to be winter. We are joined uh, at the moment by the 2023 Minnesota Superintendent of Schools of the Year, Dr. Matt Hillman. Hi, Matt. How you doing? Good morning, Rich. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Great to see both of you this morning. You are just recently back from uh, San Antonio, where you were honored as a uh, a finalist for National Superintendent of the Year. Congratulations to you, sir. Thank you. I hope you had a good experience out there in San Antonio. Yeah, it was a once in a lifetime experience. You know, it was a you know when you're when you're honored in that way, it really reinforces obviously the work that our school district and our community are doing, and it's. You know, wonderful when you have a job that you genuinely love in a place where I genuinely love to do it and yeah. to have your peers recognize you at the national level, you know, 13,000 school districts. So uh, sorry that we didn't bring home the top honor, but as we all know, as lifelong Minnesota sports fans, we've been uniquely prepared for disappointment, <laughs> and uh, especially since we lost to a New Yorker, uh, you know, even more so, because oh, just, just like the Giants and Yankees have owned us, uh, no, Kevin McGowan, uh, superintendent of schools in Brighton School District, just outside Rochester, New York, was uh, the national superintendent of the year, an amazing leader, great human being, and uh, we congratulate him, but as Minnesotans, you know, yeah, there's that. We've East been Coast, accustomed to that. That so. East Coast bias, right there. Again, thirteen thousand yeah. districts, top four, nothing to shake a stick at. So thanks for asking. Yeah, it was you, a great conference. You're, you're, you're doing just fine. Yeah, yeah. Lisa, in fact, asked me to tell you that uh, she thinks that we're super, very, incredibly lucky to have you. And oh, that's very please, kind. please don't go to you know. Kansas City or somewhere or, you know, if, if someone asks you to be the, the Secretary of Education or something like that, that's fine. Okay. But just that's don't fine. go. <laughs> we'll allow it. It's okay. No, we, uh, this is a, this is the major leagues of education as far as I'm concerned here in Northfield, right? Well, we have we a lot of expectation. That. Yes. And people support. And when you have a, an environment where people have high expectations, it's really motivating. You know, mm-hmm. you want to bring your A game every day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we work hard and incredibly hard every day to meet the expectations of our community and yet we also have uh, amazing support and so uh you know we get almost we get we get lots of things right and right. uh you know we keep trying to do good things for kids every day because uh public education is the foundation of democracy and you know we really need a rebirth uh, uh what i shared with uh, minnesota superintendents during an masa breakfast at the conference is we really need a rebirth of commitment to public service for those of us in this room, you know, we grew up in the shadow of uh, President Kennedy's call to service, and I think many people listening remember that, and you get a little bit of a tingle when you hear President Kennedy with his famous line, but for whatever reason, we're seeing far fewer people choosing public service in all sectors, uh, especially education, and so hopefully uh, people listening here are encouraging you know, young people that they know into a life of public service. Our democracy depends on having smart, dedicated people who are willing to do something more for their community than necessarily their own uh, bank account, if you will. Yep. And so we, we just we really need to inspire a rebirth of commitment to public service. And I can't think of a better place in the world than Northfield, Minnesota, to lead that resurgence. You heard it here first. Matt Hillman, ask not what Northfield can do for you. Ask what you can do for Northfield. You yeah. got it. So you go to San Antonio, Texas, where I'm sure the weather was uh, at least in the uh, the mid-60s, if not a little bit warmer. Well, the first day we were there was 83. 
Nice. And then the second day, it was in the 50s, and it was quite uh, amusing to see all sorts of people with parkas on. <laughs> and I'm in shorts and a t-shirt, right? right? Exactly. Every, you know, I'm just, yeah. just kidding. I, I wore long pants because it was a little, you know, a suit, of course. But, right. but uh, it was it was kind of uh, amusing to see people who thought 60 was really cold. You were in the pool every day, and they were freezing. Their I didn't have time to be in the pool. We were at the conference. We were learning a lot. We were listening to Stephen Covey, Alex Boye, uh, some oh, wow. really great oh, wow. speakers. Really big deals, yeah. And I think it's I think it's also when you go to this. I I don't go to a national conference. Very, this was all funded by a combination of AASA and MASA, so no local dollars used, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to mm-hmm. do this. But when you do, there is there's for people listening, there is real value to get together with people who do your work throughout the country. Right. First of all, you get some amazing ideas from people who have done some unique things and in, in situations that are both similar and very different to us. But, you know, an idea that works is an idea that we can certainly consider and think, oh, could that work here? Could that help us solve this problem? And then, you know, just in Minnesota, we also are just very thankful for the commitment to education in the state. We hear about the travails of of other folks across the country. There's, of course, gratitude for what we do have, and we, of course, expect more. Uh, But at the same time, just really wonderful to be able to get together with some of the brightest minds about education in the country and learn and uh, basically steal their ideas, uh, you know, creatively borrow, we call call that in education, and make those relationships that help us leverage the successes of other school districts uh, for our own. And right. so we, it's, it was a great opportunity to, to get to go, and I'm truly grateful to MASA and AASA for the chance to go. No, we're happy you were able to go, and we're happy to have you back. So, um, as I was going to say, we 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 are are uh, have you had these these warm climates? All three of us actually have been in warm climates very recently, and now starting this afternoon, we are going to be faced with. Uh, Yet another walloping snowstorm. Um, I, I have, I cannot, I, I've actually lost count now of the number of, and I really appreciate the, these these phone calls. Don't, don't get me wrong, but I, I've lost count of the number of times you have had to call me at five thirty in the morning and say, "Well, Rich, <laughs> we have to cancel school again today, or it's going to be an e-learning day." And and uh, you're not a real big fan of those phone calls, are you, Matt? I despise them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We want kids in school, and uh, kids want to be in school, and families want their kids in school. Right. And we are, when we make those, and, and this week, this is obviously, you just heard, you know, Bob on, yeah. I mean, this, this isn't, uh, you know, we, uh, this isn't going to be, um, you know, maybe six inches of snow or six no, or eight, you no. know, th- they're talking when you're, when you're getting the forecast in feet. Yes. Uh, that's a different <laughs> ball game. Now, you know, of course, just for people listening, you know, we, we are always going to wait until we get some of the later forecasts. Uh, they're, they've got a lot of confidence in the storm. In fact, I've been, you know, listening to these forecasters for a long time and I don't recall another storm where they had this much confidence for this much snow so early in the process it's been a while yeah it's been a while and i know the the piece is that you know they've issued a blizzard warning for us you know starting mm-hmm. tomorrow afternoon and you just don't mess with the blizzard so but we will wait um you know we are always we, we sure try to be very thoughtful we try to use the latest data that we have and so you know we'll certainly wait uh, look at the forecasts uh, how they develop later in the afternoon and we will see where we go as you know we've you know there are times where there's been confidence and the storm takes a right turn and maybe it doesn't hit us. If all of us 
crossing our fingers, right. hoping that that happens. Uh, we, we've seen these 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 monster uh, snowstorms absolutely fizzle. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, I don't see it happening this time, but it, it's it's possible. Anything's possible. Yeah, we we prefer not to have any delay in us. We are always trying to balance, Rich, the and, and Lisa the. The, the making sure that we have the importance of having kids in school and the disruption that any time we change the schedule has on working families right. with the safety of students. And it's, it's, it's a piece where there's no clear if this, then that, but mm-hmm. we have a few pieces that we look at. Of course, we're looking at number one, are the roads passable? Right. Uh, you know, number two, what is the visibility like? Because visibility is a huge issue for safety in, in many cases, even more so than heavy snow you right. can have a smaller amount of snow but if the wind is really significant and visibility is reduced uh that really creates issues for potential accidents and so you know we're always balancing and we're very fortunate you know benjamin bus is an outstanding transportation mm-hmm. partner they have an incredible safety record so you know we weigh all of those things and you know we of course then make the call and most of the time we're right and sometimes not so much but right. you you make the decision with the best information that you have at the time and, you know, it's, it's what you do. So we live in Minnesota. Uh, we need to expect this from time to time. But this one, this one sounds like a, a pretty doozy. It occurs to me that my co-host here is a lifetime ago was a, a, a Benjamin Bus driver. I was, Do yes. you remember uh, days like this uh, coming down the pipe? I mean, what was, what was it like for a bus driver to have to deal with? Uh, uh, well, when st- you get that call in the morning that there's no school and you can sleep in, that's like <laughs> wonderful news. But um, to be driving a school bus and um, and it's like questionable weather is, yeah. is scary because you've got people's babies. Yeah. Like in, you know, it's um, I've been in the ditch a couple of times. Really? Um, that's an interesting place to be in a school bus. Um, it's they always take care of you right away. I mean, they have it's not their first rodeo. They, they know exactly what to do. Um, but I mean, you are very thoughtful and I think what people don't realize, unless you live in the country, like our school district district is huge. 178 square miles. Yeah. I mean, so it's not just like the in-town students that have to get to school. Like we are traveling for miles Mm -hmm. to get these kids to, to, and from school safely. And on some of these country roads, the, the wind and the blowing, it, it does make them impassable. And it's um, it's concerning when you're driving the bus. <laughs> and you're like, hmm, I don't know if we should be doing this. But Well, and you raise an important point about the <laughs> size of the system, right, Because of, of the district. Uh, conditions, for example, in the southeast can be very different than they are in the north. And, yep. you know, we, we have experimented or thought, you know, about, um, you know, using some of the really old strategies. For those of you who remember WCCO, mm-hmm. pardon the competition, you know, no, no, and, no. you know, back when they would read those on the air and they might say something like, you know, rural school district, plowed roads only, if you remember I, that. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> and, I, I grew up listening to Roger Erickson say those exact words. Yes. And, and yeah. we've, we've, we've evaluated whether in some cases we, it just is isn't practicable anymore, right? right? And so uh, the bottom line is that we are a school system, and so we are not a system of neighborhoods, right? right. We're a school system, right. and, you know, you need to make some decisions, you know, for the entirety of, of the district at, at mm-hmm. one time. And Lisa's absolutely right. The conditions can be very different uh, from place to place. Now, there have been a number of, you know, quote-unquote snow days this year, but most of those days have been e-learning days. Um what what is the um 
how 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 what's the balance there? It's not quite as disruptive to have an e-learning day, but it's, does it still set things off a little bit off kilter? So I think the key, if you think about the the older strategy of you know we'll just make days up in June, yeah. We know that that also disrupts families, right? Yeah. Because people have that end of the school year on their calendar. And when we used to do that, regardless of how many times we would tell people these are our makeup days, if we did have to use them, people have to plan their trips quite a bit in advance. And, and people will use that right after that last day yeah. of school. And you also face uh, the fact that you've got students and families who are looking toward the end of that school year. Mm-hmm. And our goal is is to try to minimize interruption to instruction. So right. no one will say uh, that an e-learning day is as good as a full day of instruction. Um, it's probably analogous to something at, after what would have been the last day of school. Right. And I, I think even so, more so now, I mean, we piloted these in 2019, an, another really doozy of a winter but I think when you really think about it now, especially for our middle school and high school students, our middle school and high school students, they all meet uh, with one of their teachers for a Zoom meeting at 9 a.m. The teacher just reviews, hey, here's what the expectations for the day are, and here's what you're going to do. And then the rest of the work is asynchronous. So students are working on assignments on their own. Mm-hmm. Their teachers are available to be connected with via email, Schoology, a Zoom session, even potentially a phone call using the teacher's school phone, uh, which we can now patch through uh, to their iPad. And so if, if you think about what I just described, Lisa Peterson, I believe that you are working remotely right now. Yes, I am. Does that describe what your typical day probably looks like? You probably have some kind of kickoff meeting in the morning at some point. A lot of industries do, not everyone, mm-hmm. but a lot of industries have a morning huddle, and then people are expected to work on the assignments that they have for the day. And then they're expected to report back in. So, you know, while e-learning days initially were for those kinds of situations where um, we were trying to give families a more predictable schedule, they're now really workforce development because I think we're still settling out what is the split between people working in person and people working remotely. We do know that remote work is going to be part of our future. Some of it will be full-time, I think, less than it is right now. But for certain, there are a number of companies that are telling people today, plan to work remotely tomorrow and Thursday. And they're going to have some kind of huddle in the morning with their team via a a video conferencing session. They're going to give them the instructions for the day. People are going to work, and then they're going to report back. And our students are getting that experience more so this year than I would like them to. But, you know, and, and for our elementary families, you know, of course, we want to emphasize that, uh, you know, an e-learning day, it's, it's no different than let's say that we did have school on a day where people had concerns that the roads conditions were good enough to send their student to school. For mm-hmm. years, we've said, if we're holding school and you don't feel it's safe enough to send your student, just call the student in and it'll be an excused absence. This is the reverse, right? We do have some families that say, I just don't want to have to deal with that today. No problem. Just call your student in absent. We'll consider it to be an excused absence. But many elementary families do appreciate uh, the the activity matrix that we provide that does lend itself to the activities you would typically do on kind of a snowy day anyway. Right. And we're doing some work that helps keep that skill development moving forward. And there's a lot of choice that families have. So as always, um, when we have an opportunity to implement something like we have this year, we will review, we will make it better for as we move ahead. Yep. All right, with just about five minutes left, we do have to talk about uh, some of the finance uh, situation at, at, at school. Um, 
uh, you, you've uh, had a couple of presentations at the last couple of school board meetings from uh, Val Murdersdorf. Um, the, the, the budget situation isn't exactly the rosiest thing in the world for a number of reasons, but uh, looking like we're going to have another round of possible uh, budget uh, reprioritization. Is that right? Yes. And so, you know, for our listeners, what we are doing is what responsible financial management looks like. Rich, you've heard um, many times, Lisa, you've heard many times in your former role as the chamber director that we have been lauded by outside groups for exceptional financial management. Val Murdestorf is one of the best finance directors in the state. Our staff are incredibly great stewards of the public's dollars. But when you have a state that funds your educational system based on the number of students that you have, when you are in declining enrollment like we are, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, if we look back just to the 2018-19 school year, um, we're 245 students less than we were then. That's $2.45 million of revenue that is gone. And so I wish I could tell our listeners that, oh, don't worry about it. Our enrollment's going to stabilize in a couple of years, and these reductions will we'll get to that point to whatever our new altitude is. But that is not what the demographic data says. Right. We don't know yet know what that cruising altitude, that new normal will be for our enrollment. We have worked very hard and the community has supported us to make sure that we had the tools to be able to weather this initial part. And then at some point you have to continue to adjust your expenditures to match with the reality of fewer students. We know there's two reasons that our demographer, who is a renowned demographer, says that we are seeing declining enrollment. Number one is a decline in births. This is something that you are reading about across the United States. And then uh, something that Lisa is very aware of, we talked many times about on the chamber board, is housing. And we just don't have enough housing for people who want to move here. So um, when we are continuing to look at that kind of year-over-year decline in enrollment, we have to adjust our expenditures. So unfortunately, you know, we are going to be uh, talking next Monday night at the board meeting about the next round of proposed budget uh, adjustments. That will be published uh, on Thursday uh, with the board packet. They're preliminary. The final decisions won't be made um, on most of the programming until April, right? That's mm-hmm. the process that we use. Mm-hmm. We are a process-oriented organization. Last year, we held a, as you remember, we had a major committee. We had over 70 members of the community participate over three different meetings to help us identify what priorities uh, we should use when budgeting. We're using that team's work again this year. And then our administrative team is putting together another list of uh, proposed reductions based on that feedback. We will, of course, give the public two uh, opportunities to comment through public hearings right. because we want to hear from people. But we we have pulled all, we've used all the tools that we have to be able to uh, protect our general fund. Mm-hmm. We need a fund balance. We have to be able to have that. Mm-hmm. We are able to do a number of things with that. So um, coincidentally, in about 45 minutes, I'm headed up to the Capitol. Uh, we are going to attend uh, the House Education Finance Committee. I'm going up with a couple of our board members. Uh, we're going to attend the House Education Finance Committee. We're going to meet with Representative Purcell. Uh, we were, are potentially going to meet with a couple of other legislators as well. We really need them to continue to work on fixing it. It, it probably doesn't necessarily give us enough uh, because of declining enrollment to stave off any reductions you know, this year. Mm-hmm. But adding 5% to the formula in each of the next two years of the biennium, tying it to inflation like I have espoused many times on this program, and fixing the special education cross subsidy are things that will give us longer term financial, uh, uh, being more solid in a long term financial manner. So the fact is, this is what good financial management looks like. It is not fun. It is a, it is painful. We can't right. we can't try to hide that. We're not going to bury the lead. You cannot make reductions in schools 
without reducing people because we hire people to do good things for kids. So I wish, I'm sorry, I wish there was something more that we could do, but we have used every level, the lever that we have, the community has helped us in every way they can. This is a structural financing problem at the state level. Yeah. When we have some more time, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the legislative uh, stuff because I know that uh, what you're asking for uh, and what what the governor's proposal is kind of sort of falls short for, for of of what you're asking for, but it, it's still quite a bit. So I want to yeah, and I'll leave you with this. Just it, I'm going to t- share with you the power. If we go back to the 1990-91 school year, mm-hmm. and if the legislature had just increased the, the per pupil funding formula. With the rate of inflation, not everybody's worried about inflation now, but we're talking about if, if we had just kept up with inflation over the last 30 years, our estimate is Northfield schools this year would have $6.7 million more of revenue. Yeah. That is the power of when you you are behind inflation. Everybody's noticed in the last six months, but the compounding nature of inflation and not keeping up with it from a funding perspective has put us behind from the beginning. Just tying things to inflation is, is, is an important thing. Northfield Superintendent of Schools, Dr. Matt Hillman, as always, sir, we appreciate your time. Thank you. And we will talk to you again next week.